that song really does sum up where we are today in Scripture. For those of you that have not been with us last week, and for those worshiping via live stream, I'm going through a series called God With Us. The good news is He doesn't forsake us and He never leaves us. This morning we're going to look at that and the promises of God's Word. We want to remember today Henry and Neri Tran. They're getting ready to go to Cambodia this week for a number of weeks to be able to minister to people there. Pray for them both in travel and on the ground. Pray for us this morning that we'll really hear from God and he'll speak to our hearts. Join me. Let's pray together. Father, it is good today to know that we belong to Christ. You don't abandon us in time of trouble. The Bible says you're a present help in a time of trouble indeed, and we're grateful. We couldn't make it very far in a day without the hand of the Father being upon us, and we don't want to try. We acknowledge our need of you, and today we're grateful for your mercies that you've shown us. Give us eyes to see your truth. Let your truth of your word lodge deeply in our hearts to guide us in the paths of life and remind us that the Holy Spirit of God not only indwells us, but he empowers us to be more than conquerors through Christ our Lord. Deal with us today according to your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to open your Bible with me and just keep it open this morning. I'm really not preaching a normal sermon, if there's such a thing as a normal one. This one today is really a Bible study. We're looking at a series called God With Us, and last week we looked at God With Us in Our Fears. Today I want to look at God With Us in Our Suffering, and I'm going to say to you, uh, I'm not going to hit as many points today. Many of you are waiting in the hallway waiting to get in because the preacher tried to cover too much. So if you want to hear what I said first hour, I'm going to cover some things there that I won't cover here. Maybe it's going to be shorter than we thought. I don't know. But uh, I'm not going to try to cover as much because obviously this topic has lots of scriptures and you can listen to that on live stream if this message is something you need. The one thing about suffering, we either have just gone through it, we're in the middle of it, or you better buckle up because it's on the horizon. Suffering is inherent in this world. Many times people say the number one question when people are lost without Christ, the first question they ask, well, if there's a loving God, why is there so much evil and suffering? Because we want it that way. We, we like it. You don't see people today on movies or television or magazines or music saying, we aspire to righteousness. We aspire to rottenness. We love sin. We just don't like the penalty. And you can't have one without the other. Consequences always follow actions. And whatever action you commit against God, there is a punishment for sin. There's a consequence, a judgment the truth is, in the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam and Eve great freedom, but we said, we don't want that. We want to be as gods. That's what Satan promised. If you eat this fruit, you don't have to bend your knee to him. You can be your own God. That's what he doesn't want you to be. Well, how are we doing with that? Because truthfully, when God created the earth, he said it's good. Over and over and over, he says it's good. And until sin came in, and God didn't want us to go through death. We know that because he offered us next to the tree of knowledge, good and evil, was the tree of life in the same garden, in the same proximity, which says his desire was that we would have life. But in his mercy, he said, okay, if you're going to eat the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you're not going to eat the tree of life because you'd live forever in this. And this doesn't look too hot at 64. I w- thank you. I wouldn't, li- I wouldn't want to live at 64,000, would you? Or 64 million in one of these. I mean, you're talking about dusty and crusty. That wouldn't look good, would it? And so God was merciful when he said, don't eat of that tree. And then he put an angel with a flaming sword at the Garden of Eden and said, get out and don't come back expecting to do that. And we don't see the tree of life until we see the promise of paradise on the cross and the tree of life in the book of Revelation. From book one through 64 books, 
It's only in the 66 books. So it's in Genesis 1. We wait 64 books and then our 65 books and we get the book of Revelation. And we find there the book of the, the word of the tree of life. We Baptists are more Buddhist than we are Baptist. A generation today, and I'm not just talking about younger, I'm talking about all ages. I'm not talking about just younger generation. We believe in karma. Now, you wouldn't say that. I hope not. But there are a lot of Baptists that live with karma. What do I mean by that? We believe if there's a wrong action, there must be a wrong judgment. So therefore, we see if somebody's suffering, boy, the first question, well, what did they do? And if somebody really does well, we believe in karma. Well, boy, they must have done something right. Look what they're getting to enjoy. Karma is Buddhism. It's ancient uh, Middle Eastern mysticism where there's a circle of life. That's Lion King. Circle of life and we're all in it. And, and you're going to have so much good and so much bad. And that's just karma. We don't believe in karma. Job was a man of God. The oldest book you have in your hand is the book of Job, 4,000 years old. And the whole book is about the suffering of one man. 38 chapters he cries out to God. And when God finally comes to answer his questions in the last four chapters of the book, God does not answer the number one question, why? We, we believe that we, we believe for some reason we ought not suffer, but it's because we've not read Scripture. Did God not love the Apostle Paul? He wrote three letters, uh, wrote on three missionary journeys, wrote 13 letters of the New Testament, was faithful, 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 and yet he went through canings, whipping, shipwrecked, stone, uh, stone with rocks, left for dead, in prisons often. I thought God loved his people. I, I thought he loved his disciples. John the, John, the beloved disciple, was dipped in burning oil, boiling oil, and when that didn't kill him, he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos and died in exile. Simon Peter was one that Jesus named Rocky. And yet Simon Peter was crucified upside down because he said, it's not right for me to be crucified in the same manner as my master. I thought God loved those men. After all, if we follow Christ, it's just a super highway to heaven, isn't it? I mean, we're not actually going to have suffering, are we? Scripture says we are. And the truth is, every time there's suffering, the first question we ask is that ever popular three-letter word, why? We don't know. We, uh, let me say that again. We won't be given that answer because if God explained it to us, likely we wouldn't get it. So many people grow frustrated when they can't answer the why, meaning we think there has to be a rational explanation. There is sin broke the world. And the end result of sin is pain, suffering, and death. I can't answer your question why when there's tragedy. I've been a pastor a long time. I've stood there when teenagers died in a car accident. And Mama's saying, Pastor, why? I, I don't know. I've been there when a man on a pulpit committee in Hot Springs, Arkansas, years ago, was on the chairman of the pulpit committee, brought me to Second Baptist Hot Springs, was gunned down by a student in a community college while he hunkered down under his teacher's desk. The guy shot him to death. His dear widow and children said, Pastor, why? I, I don't know. I've been with some of you when you lost a brand new baby. Baby died in the womb. And you've asked me that hard question, why? I don't know. So I stopped asking why because I can't answer that one. Other than we're in a broken world where sin has brought things in the world that we did not want and still don't. But there are questions that we can answer. And I would ask you to please remember these when you're suffering. Because I think it's more apropos, that, that, uh, more appropriate that we ask these because I believe these we can answer. 
How? How can this time of suffering bring us closer to God and bring glory to God? You know, the Bible says all things work together for good to those that love God. So if we're going through a time of purpose, does it not stand to reason that this is one of all those things that eventually work together? He didn't say everything's good. It does not stand to reason that all things work together for good if we really love God. So, so if that's the case, the second question we ought to answer, uh, ought to ask is, what are the lessons... What are the lessons God's trying to teach me as I go through this time of struggle? If you're honest, the time you learned the most about God was not when you were celebrating on the mountaintop. It's when you were on your face in the valley saying, God, I don't think I can get up in the morning. I can't take much more. What are the lessons God's trying to teach you when you're going through struggle, when your job has been shut down, your company sold, and they're laying you off? What what are you going to learn What do you learn when it's your mom or daddy that gets cancer and they're long-term and you hope for healing and they die? What did you learn through the valley? Years ago, John Piper got uh, prostate cancer and he wrote a marvelous little treatise, Ten Reasons Not to Waste Your Pain. Excellent, excellent writing by John Piper. So we can ask the question, how can this time of suffering be used to bring glory to God? What are the lessons that I'm now learning? And Then the third one is a little more personal. In the midst of what I'm going through, does my attitude reflect Jesus? Oh my. Does my attitude and do my actions reflect the Christ that I claim to serve? You understand people are watching us. And when we react just like the world reacts, they said, don't tell me about your Jesus. You said the same four-letter words I said when, that, when the boss told us to do that. Don't, don't tell me you're a Christian. I, I saw how you acted when you lost your job. I, I saw what happened when, when you got cancer. I, don't, don't tell me you got faith. You act just like me, mean as a junkyard dog. You see, people are watching and they're saying, does your faith really have validity? Does your faith really see you through times of difficulty? Is your faith really capable of standing up when your hide is knocked off and you're bruised? Well, last week we talked about 2 Timothy chapter 1. We said God helps us in our fears. He's with us. And the truth is whenever we suffer, we don't like pain. I don't like pain. You don't either. And so when we're going to acknowledge today, and this is not rocket science, you'd say, well, duh, but can we just all agree suffering is painful? It's not pleasant. Nobody wants to go through it. We're going to go through it. We are going through it, some of you right now, but we don't like it. It's painful. We don't like pain. We try to numb pain. If we're hurting in our joints and we're hurting our muscles, we go try to see a doctor. What can I do for this pain? If you've got chronic back pain or sciatic nerve pain or constant headache pain, you're saying, doctor, please prescribe something. I'm hurting. We don't like pain. But suffering is painful. So from man's perspective, every time we suffer, we simply see it's painful. From God's perspective, it's the very thing that presses us into Him. I've never stood in an ICU unit or an ICU waiting room area when somebody's critical that the people, when I say, well, let's pray, please pray now, preacher. Isn't it amazing when we heard, we don't have to be encouraged to look up to God. Our very nature is like the little child who just had his little bottom spanked by his mama. And the next thing you know, he's hugging mama and his face is buried right here in her shoulder. And he's sobbing and she's saying, now I love you, I love you. And he's hugging the very one that just spanked him. You know what God wants when we go through suffering? Come here. 
all you that are laboring heavy laden, I'm, I'm going to give you rest. I, I can tell you scores of people in the 40 years I've been preaching that could come to me after difficulty and say, Brother Nick, we had grace poured out on us we never had experienced before when we went through. But I've never had anybody after a mountaintop say, we just felt so close to God because of all these blessings. We just felt so close. I mean, people say, Boy, we worked hard and you know it finally came through for us. I don't hear a whole lot of faith in there. But I hear a lot of faith when people are struggling. So what do we understand about faith? Well, 2 Timothy, where we were last week, says this. God has not given us a spirit of fear. That's not of God. Fearfulness is a result of our sinfulness. It's a result of wickedness in the world. We are fearful. That's why we buy guns and alarm systems and, and, and monitors and want policemen everywhere and security everywhere. Fences. That's why we want them because we're fearful. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. But then notice verse 8 of 2 Timothy 1. Don't be ashamed. Paul wrote, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner. Instead, share in the suffering for the gospel. Share in the suffering? Paul would write another place to the church at Philippi, Philippians 3. Verse 10, I want to know him. Some of you have said that. I've had people different times when we were meeting together and say, Brother Nick, I, I just want to go deeper. I, do you? Now, now, be careful. You're in church. Be careful. Be careful. Because in church, many people say, Brother Nick, sure, I want to go deeper. I want to know the deep things. You've got to be careful. Are you sure? Are you, are you sure? Because you're not, going to like the, you're not going to like the formula for knowing him. Fully. Here's what it says, Philippians 3.10. Paul, been through it. And he writes the church at Philippi, and here's what he says, I want to know him. It's a subjective mood. It means expressing great desire of the heart. I, I really do want to know him. And listen to what he says, in the power of the resurrection. That's not good. You say, well, resurrection? Oh, resurrection is great, but what do you got to go through to have a resurrection? You're going to have to have a death. Scripture says, you want to follow me, that's great. Deny yourself and take up your cross. You, you really want to know him? He says, then there's got to be a funeral at your house, and it's got to be you. You can't serve two masters. And Paul said, if I'm going to know the power of the resurrection, i got to go with a, to the cross with my name on it and die to me to come alive to him. Do you really want to go deeper? I, I'm willing to die to me if I can know more of him. I, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. And then listen to this. I've been, a, I've been in Baptist church since nine months before I was born, and I'm 64. I've never heard this prayed. We don't pray this in staff. I've never heard a group of young adults, medium adults, old adults, single adults. I've never heard missionaries. I've never heard preachers pray this prayer. Paul said, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Here's what we pray. God, God, guard and direct us, protect us. Please bind Satan away from us. Hold us near. Oh God, keep us safe. Watch over us, we pray. You know what Paul said? Lord, this week, can I live close enough to you that people hate me just half as much as they hated you? Can I be so much like you that people despise it when I walk in the room because they know who I re represent? Can I have some people belittle me in the name of Jesus because my faith is so real that it makes them feel very convicted? God, could I know what it is to suffer just a little bit so at least when I pray there's a level of fellowship between me and Christ because I have suffered for the faith to demonstrate that God is alive in me? Can I please know a little bit of your suffering? How many of you pray that regular? 
I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. There's got to be a death to be a raising. I want to know him in the koinonia. I want to be mutually yoked with him that people hate me just like they hated him. And if you don't want that, it really doesn't matter. That's where we are. You are a bigot in the eyes of the world. You are seen as somebody that's the last bastion of holding out biblical truth. And that makes you a radical, a redneck, and a weirdo. So in case you think we're real popular, just turn on the news. (laughs) That ought to knock the dust off. Paul said, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. I want to struggle enough that they know I'm a Christian. And that way I can say I fellowship just a little bit with the way they treated my master So that I can be conformed to his death. Did you hear that? Do you know I can't live for Christ till I've died to my flesh? I I can't really say that I belong to him if I cling to that which pleases my flesh. Scripture says if you want to really serve him, there has to come a time that the flesh which is flesh, is passing away. Don't fall in love with this present world. For the sins of the lust of the flesh and the pride of life and the lust of the eyes, all of that stuff is passing away. What are you most tempted with? The, the lust of the flesh, everything that pleases my flesh, the lust of the eyes, ooh, I want that, whatever that is, and the pride of life. Well, I'll tell you right now, I'm not like, oh, sorry, people. God said, you better not act that way. All that's passing away. That's the old order of things. That's this world. But do you really want to go deeper with God? And know the power of resurrection following death and the power of the fellowship of suffering so that you can die to you and be made alive to Him? You still want to go deeper? Well, this morning what I want to do is just share with you, and again, time is almost gone, so that's the introduction. The sermon you can hear first hour. Let me just hit on a couple of these and we're going to quit. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter was the... One who was in the inner circle with Jesus, Peter, James, and John. Peter knew what it was to struggle and suffer for his faith. He knew what it was to be persecuted for his faith. And he writes 1 Peter chapter 1 toward the end of his life. And it's toward the end of the book, near the book of Revelation. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, he's going to give us some pictures of how suffering can be advantageous for the spiritual growth of a Christian. We've agreed suffering is painful. So let's see what Peter has to say. 1 Peter chapter 1 Verse 3, blessed, and look at this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, when the world's falling apart, where is your focus? He didn't say, blessed is Nero. He was Nero's emperor when Peter lived. Blessed is Nero and all the Roman Senate. We believe that there can be a strong election this year. We're going to make it through. Uh-uh. Listen, he didn't trust in Rome for anything. Rome killed Christians just for practice. Where's his hope? My hope is built on nothing less. The old hymn says than Jesus, blood and righteousness. Look at Peter. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. Why do we have a living hope? Because we have a living Savior. We're not worshiping a dead teacher that was buried 2,000 years ago in a tomb, never to be seen again. We serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. Paul said, Peter said, I'm grateful because we have a living hope because our Savior's living through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4 of 1 Peter 1. We have an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Verse 5, God's with us. We are kept by the power of God through faith. Listen, you are not alone in your trial. Psalmist said, God is a very present help in a time of trouble. 
He is never nearer to you than when you're struggling unless you've done something totally godless and you're reaping what you've sown. If a righteous man suffers, it is not because he's done evil. It's because the world hates you the way it hated our master. Now, if you're living in debauchery and you're living in sin and you reap the, the, the harvest of sin, you, 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 you're, you're caught up into porn and your wife finds out and you go through a divorce, don't say, well, dear God, I don't know why you let that happen. Why he let it happen? He let it happen. You see, if I plant that which is iniquity, I'm going to reap a whole harvest of iniquity. And so you can't say after the fact when you planted seeds of iniquity, why did you let that happen? God says, because you abandoned me. But if you're walking with God and you go through difficulty, here's what he says. We are kept by the power of God through faith. Isn't that good? He's not way out there somewhere, according to Bette Midler, from a distance. He's a very present help in a time of need. He's closer to us in difficulty than he is in times of prosperity. Look what else he says. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. We are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed. Verse 6, in this, meaning we have the resurrection promise, we have God's power promise, we have a living hope through Christ. In this, in those things, verses 3 through 5, we rejoice. Though now it's just for a little while, if need be, because there's something else going on. You have been grieved by various trials. You remember that word, various I share with you before, 1 Peter chapter 1 says we're going through various trials. 1 Peter chapter 4 says we are stewards of the various or manifold grace of God. The, the Greek word is the same. Various or manifold in Greek means multicolored. He said right now you're grieving because you're going through multicolored tests. Wouldn't it be nice if Satan just zinged you with one? Truth is, most of us, when the difficulty comes, they come in such massive tsunamis, we say, I don't even want to answer the phone. I, don't, I, I can't take much more. There, there's a multicolored, multi-attack. And so here's what it says. There's multicolored tests, and in 1 Peter 4, there's multicolored grace. What in the world does that mean? Some of you are being hit with a yellow, a yellow temptation of absolute fearfulness. God says, if you'll look to me, I have a yellow grace that will cover that. Some of you are filled with red rage, the redness of anger. God says, I have a red grace that would cover that. Some of you hit with the blue difficulty of depression. I read the news and I'm just so depressed. God says, I have a blue grace that would cover that. Some of you see somebody else prospering. You have the green temptation of envy. God said, I got a green, I got a green grace that will cover that. Whatever you're facing, God says, I got you covered. So scripture says here, you may be going, verse 6, through various multicolored trials so that why, 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 why do we go through those trials? So that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold that perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What? We're going through various kinds of trials in the present to prove the reality and the genuineness of our faith. How do you know if you've got strong faith? Same way an athletic team finds out if they've got a good team. They go out in the field or the court of contest. How do you know if you've got a faith that's maturing? Because God allows you to go through yet another test similar to the one you had last week. said, are you going to do better this time? 
You see, the truth is, it's the genuineness of our faith that God wants to build in us. And the scripture says, if we yield to God's power in the midst of our struggle, God makes us stronger and more mature to face the next level. So that we look back and we say, that's good, I did that. It's the same way you feel about a child that moves from first grade to second grade. Whether they just said, your child has made the requirements, he doesn't have to stay in first grade. He can move on up. And the parents say, that's great. He gets to sixth grade, moves to middle school, you say, that's great. Why? He's not going to go to middle school and say, well, now that you've changed schools, we got to go back first grade and start over. No. You know what? I'm not tempted to do things I was tempted to do at 18. <laughs> I didn't crawl out a window a single time this week to roll anybody's yard. Not a single time. I didn't want to go egg anybody's house. Aren't you grateful? All God's people said amen. See, I'm growing up. First of all, I can't climb out my window. So, so it gets where your temptations are limited by your, your strengths. Scripture says if you're really growing up in Christ... The things that used to tempt you, now you've learned how to master. It's not that you won't go through temptation, but you're not going to go through those. Because if you do, you say, I, I, I don't, that doesn't tempt me anymore. So scripture says here, God, verse 7, I'm trying to prove the genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold. It perishes and it's tested by fire. And you'd say it's getting pretty hot. I'm doing this to be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen, you've not seen Jesus with your eyes of flesh. You've not seen him, yet you love him. And though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Why? Because when all of this struggle and suffering and life is over, you receive the end of your faith, the very salvation of your soul. So why does suffering come? To say, are you sure that you know Jesus Christ? Oh, there's a lot of people. Yeah, I, I'm a Christian. You let the first struggle come, and you won't see them back in church. There's a ton of people out there. Oh, yeah, I used to go to church, but you know, when my mama got sick, she, did, she died. I'll never go back to church. There are people say, well, you know, we lost our job, and everybody else getting a job. We didn't get a job. I'm never, I don't trust God. I'm not believing Him anymore. I, I'm not going back. My mate got cancer. And God didn't heal my mate. I'm not going back. So what have you just proved? My faith was a rabbit's foot to try to manipulate the Almighty to do what I wanted. And when He didn't do what I wanted, I don't need Him. Oh my. Faith is purified through the suffering of trial. Look with me secondly. And I'm going to hurry here. Turn to Malachi. Cause we got we to finish. Malachi chapter 3. Look with me. Again, you go back and hear session one of First Hour live stream if you want more about serving. Look at Malachi. So it's the last book in the Old Testament right before you get to Matthew. Malachi chapter 3, look with me. See, suffering proves our faith. But secondly, suffering is used by God to purify faith. If you're honest, you've become more faithful because every test has made your faith stronger and more like biblical faith. Not a wishful faith, not a hope-so faith, not a maybe-so faith, not a fantasy faith, but a real faith. Malachi chapter 3, here's what Scripture says beginning in verse 2. Malachi 3 verse 2. Who can endure? Boy, that's a good question. Some of you here say, I don't know how much more I can take. That's what Malachi said in Malachi 3 2. Who can endure the day of God's coming? Meaning, when God shows up and it is difficult, are you going to make it? 
Who's going to stand in the day of the Lord? That's a good question. You know this week with all that bad storm that hit Wednesday? You know what we found out about trees in our neighborhood and our yard? I found out which ones weren't really that strong. I found out which, one, which branches were really pretty wimpy. You know what's still standing today? Those who are well-rooted and strong. You know what, who's still standing after the storms of life blow through? Those who have a genuine rootedness in Christ Jesus. So look what it says in Malachi 3.2. Who can endure the day of His coming? Who can stand when He appears? For He's like a refiner's fire and launderer's soap. He'll sit as a refiner. God sits as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He's going to purify the sons of Levi, purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. God doesn't want our our wickedness to appear as righteousness. He says, I want my righteousness to appear in you. Now, you've heard this. If you've been in church with me a while, you've heard this before, but here's the short version. The Scripture says, God, like a refiner of silver, you know how they refine silver in biblical times. They got a big old cauldron. They put the silver ore in the cauldron. They built a fire under it. And here's what happens. When silver gets hot enough, it melts. And when it melts, the, the impurities float to the top. And so the silversmith would take a, a stick with a scoop on it and he scrapes it. Anybody here feeling the heat of the storm? Anybody here tired of being scraped? Your, your flesh feels like it's raw. Your heart feels like I don't know how much more of this scraping I can take. He, he heats it and the impurities start coming out and he's got to get rid of those. Because we said we want, we want to be like Christ. He says, I'm working on that. And then Scripture says not only does he begin to scrape it, the Scripture says then he heats it again. Why? Because some of those impurities are pretty deep. And it takes a lot of heat to get them to let go. Some of you say, Pastor, I, I, I believe in Christ, but boy, letting go of my old life is really hard. Why? It's got a real hold in there, doesn't it? And so God sends more heat. Why? He's going to get rid of the impurities. And as those come to the top, he scrapes again and he heats it hotter and scrapes again and hotter. And when does he quit? That's what you've been asking. How much longer? When are you going to let up on me? The silversmith knew that the silver was pure when he could peer over the cauldron and see his face perfectly reflected. Is Christ reflected in you? Why in the world has God let us suffer? Because He's got to get rid of everything that looks like us. So what's left is everything that looks like Him. Isn't that what we said we wanted? I want to be like Christ. Didn't, didn't that what we said? Well, I wish I had time. I'd finish this. First hour has the full sermon. No, first hour has more of the sermon. So, so what are we going to do with suffering? Suffering always has a purpose. Paul said we have this treasure in earthen vessels. You know what that means? You remember in Dead Sea Scrolls, you remember they found those scrolls that were written around 70 A.D.? time of the fall of Jerusalem, 70 A.D., uh, communities live around the Qumran, and they wrote, they copied scriptures and other things, and they, knowing that the Romans were coming, they put them in clay jars, and there's little caves all around the Qumran area around the Dead Sea. There are little caves up there, and shepherds didn't want to have to climb up every little, every little cliff, to, every cliff to find in a little cave if I've got to go to a sheep lost up there. So they'd just take a sling and put a rock in it, and they'd hurl that rock up into one of those caves fairly high above the ground, and that rock would bounce, and if it hit something soft, they'd say, well, it's worth the climb. One of my goats or sheep are up there. 
But one day when this little boy was up there throwing rocks up in those caves, it went bing, bing, and it, it cracked. It broke. He heard something break, so he threw another rock. It broke again. He thought, that's not a sheep, but that's not a rock. I don't know what's up there. So he climbs up, and he, founds, he finds these huge earthen jars with the lid on some. Some over time had fallen over, and the lid was off. And inside those jars, he found some old documents. He didn't know what they were, so he got some of them. He took them to a dealer, and the dealer knew what they were, but he acted like, oh, these are just trash. I'll give you a little something for them for your effort. And he knew what he had. And so when he sold those, people said, where did you get these? And the guy selling them said, I'm not sure, but it's a Palestinian boy down around Qumran. And they went to look, and those were loaded with Dead Sea Scrolls. And you know what was found in those old earthen jars? The Word of God. You, you see this. Boy, it's pretty pitiful looking, isn't it? Nothing. Nothing in this that looks appealing. It's old and wrinkled and swollen. It doesn't look good. But you know what's inside of this? The marvelous gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is in this earthen vessel. You know why? So in times of suffering, if it's broken or cracked, what should come out is the message of the power of the Almighty. Why does God let us go through suffering? Because he says, I want you to show the world what you're really made of. Paul knew what it was to suffer. And as he's writing to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 8, he's old and he's tired. He's been whipped and had to be sore. Goodness, if you've, had, if you've been stoned and left for dead and whipped and beaten with rods, your joints would feel like they couldn't even function. I mean, he had to hurt. He just had to hurt. He could have been real bitter. God, I, I tried to serve you and all I've known is difficulty. I just don't think it's worth it. No, that's not what he said. You, what do you want to know when you're hurting? Is God with me? Listen to what Paul said. Romans 8. Do you see this little old man in a Roman dungeon? Maritime prison. Dungeon. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he lists a series of rhetorical questions. An old man who's hurting. Bird-legged, barrel-bodied, crook-nosed, bald-headed, ugly. Who's going to separate us from the love of Christ? And he begins to list. Shall tribulation? No, I've been through that. Distress? Nope, made it through that. Persecution? Going through that now and God hadn't loved me. Distress, persecution, famine? No, I've been without food. Persecution, famine, nakedness, peril of the sword. No. In all these things we are hooper nikeo, hyper nike, more than a conqueror through him that loved us. For I am truly persuaded, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall ever separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord you going through it you just been through it you getting ready to God's with us I will never leave you he said or forsake you I am with you always even to the end.